Good to see everyone again. I, uh, I'm still sick, um, but much better than last week and much better than two weeks ago. Uh, I got this lingering deep cough, so I have my water up here if I need it, but uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not too bad. My bark is worse than my bite. I'll tell you that much. It's a deep cough, but I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. So I'm excited to be uh, back into Genesis together. We have been looking at Genesis since the Genesis of this year. Since the beginning of this year, we've been looking at the very beginning of the Bible. Um, so we're in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 4. You want to open there? Um, last week, we looked at uh, the end of the six days of creation. Remember, we said that the creation account is presented as a six-day creation. Um, at the end of the six days, we talked about the creation of human beings. And many of you were, of course, home <laughs> safely uh, and not dug out yet. Maybe some of you guys caught us online, but we talked about human beings as the apex, the end, the climax of God's creation. Um, that human beings are made in the image of God. We're made to reflect God, to show God back to God. Uh, that we are made as stewards over all other things and over all of creation itself. And that we are made very good. At the end of each day, God says, it is good. At the end of day six, he says, it is very good. So in the beginning, God has created everything in six days. And then what? <laughs> then what happens? That's what we come to today in Genesis chapter 2, verse, verses 1 through 4. He takes a day of rest. Now God rests. That's the structure of creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. And this is how the very beginning of the Bible is told to us. Uh, so this is important. How important? He puts it at the very start of the Bible. That's how significant it is that the six days of rest, uh, six days of work, one day of rest picture is given to us. You know, what's interesting is we account for time based on weeks, right? Last week, this week, next week. Do you know that there's no actual astronomical reason for that? I mean, we know what a 24-hour day is, right? It's the spinning of the earth. We know what a year is. That's how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. But there's actually no reason that we account for a week of seven days. In fact, there's 365 days a year. Seven does not go into 365 very well. <laughs> it doesn't, if, you, if anything, if you were going to choose it, you would have chosen five or ten at least, right? I mean, we kind of live on a five and ten uh, you know, decimal system. That's how we kind of live. Why would you choose seven? What's the point of having a seven-day week? And as far as we can tell, the only reason why the, basically the whole world looks at time and weeks is because of this. Because of the beginning of Genesis. Because the Bible actually tells us that six days of work, one day of rest is presented to us as a week. And I wonder, you know, as we go through this, think about what do you do for your seventh day? <laughs> what do you do for your Sabbath? Uh, you might say, well, I go to church, Rick. That's why I'm here today. That's a good answer. We're going to look at that. Uh, you might say, I watch football. <laughs> That's my way of resting after a busy week. I sit there on the couch and watch football and eat nachos or something. Uh, maybe you say, no, I don't do anything for I don't, the seventh day. It makes, makes no difference to me. Um, we see here in 2 to 1 4, one day in seven is meant for rest and worship. One day in seven is meant for rest and worship. Look with me. Chapter 2, verse, <coughs> verse 1 to 4 <coughs> is the bar. Um, uh, as I said, it'll be, on the, it'll be on the screen as well. Or if you'd like to look in your bulletin, you're certainly welcome to do that. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day 
and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Just a short section of scripture for us to sort of think about and meditate on together this morning. I'm going to bring in some other scripture as we look at this as well. But look at verses 1 to 2. God rested on the seventh day as an example to us. He rested on the seventh day as an example to us. Genesis tells us that God finished the heavens and the earth. In fact, it tells us three times. He makes the point in this short section, verses 1 and 2. Uh, he tells us three times the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts with them. On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And then he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. He had completed his work of creation. Uh, no more creation is needed. This is it. This is the completion of God's work, uh, God's creation. Now, does that mean that God no longer intervenes with what he's made? Of course he does. That's what miracles are, right? God sets the, law, the laws of gravity, the laws of uh, physics into motion. He's created, he's done. But it doesn't mean he's not going to intervene at certain times and certain places. Matthew Henry said, After six days God ceased from all works of creation. In miracles he has overruled nature, but never changed its settled course or added to it. God is done. And as we said, the apex of his creation was human beings. Uh, he does intervene from time to time. We see that all over the Bible, and particularly in the life of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But creation is done. So what does God do? He rests. He rests from all his work. Uh, creation is pictured to us as a labor, as a work of God. Uh, now, understand that God doesn't exert energy. <laughs> I mean, God doesn't... You know, he doesn't have to you know, receive nutrients in order to do work. That's not the idea. It's not as if God was really tired and it needed a break. That's not the idea. But it's pictured to us as an example for us. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I mean, he could have done it. People say, you know, well, God could have done this in six days. Of course he could have. He could have done it in one minute. He could have done it in one second if he wanted. There's no, there's no limits to who God is. But this is the way he chooses to do it for us as an example to us. Us. That the seventh day would be given to us as a day of rest. Notice in the seventh day, there's no reference to there was morning and there was evening, or evening and there's morning, and then the seventh day. It just tells us this is the seventh day, because in a sense, God goes into a rest that lasts forever. He's done. He's done with creation. Now, what's the point of this? Again, we are the image bearers of God. And as image bearers, we want to be like God. <laughs> We're trying to reflect God back to God. Reflect the character of God back to God. And so if God takes a rest on the seventh day, we're called to do the same. Now let me just say before we get to that rest, the assumption behind this need for rest is work. <laughs> work is the assumption. So work is not a bad thing. Uh, some people say, you know, I can't wait to get, get to heaven so I can sit around and do nothing. No, sorry, that's probably not what heaven or a new creation will look like. Work is a good thing. God works, right in the beginning of the Bible. He works for six days. That's the picture he gives us. We are, are created in his image, and therefore we also do the same. We work. Jesus himself said, my father is working until now, and I am working, John 5, 17. I think it's not a coincidence that Jesus was not a philosopher. He was not a rab trap, just a rabbi. Uh, he had a job. He had an actual physical, hands-on job. He was a carpenter. He followed the trade of his father. He made things. He accomplished things. He did things. He modeled for us the importance 
of work. And I would just say, friends, when you think about work, a vocation, a work we're called to do a job. Uh, yes, we're all called to do ministry. And that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. We're called to do a trade, a profession, a job. That's a good thing. It's something we're supposed to be doing. In fact, it takes up six-sevenths of our life. Doing a work is a good thing. Uh, we produce, we accomplish something. We do something. I, I remember hearing before that Winston Churchill um, was a, as an amateur bricklayer. Did you know that? That's what he liked to do on, his, on the side. He liked to make walls out of bricks. His, depending on who you're talking to, one of the greatest politicians, or you know, if you don't like him, one of the sort of arrogant, wise guy politician, but nevertheless. But I can imagine why he'd want to do that. You spend all day talking and writing and debating. You feel like you didn't accomplish anything. At the end of the day, you want to say, I want to put one brick on top of another brick and on top of another brick, and at the end of the day, see a wall that's there that wasn't there before. Right? I want to do something that actually I can see with my eyes and accomplish something. I get why he, as a politician, would say, I want to just do something physical that can be seen with my eyes. We're called to work. That's the assumption, friends. So hopefully that is a true assumption for, for you. Uh, we'll talk about retirement and all that in a second here. But then we see here the need for rest. Need the need for rest. Uh, this is, first and foremost, a creation ordinance, which means before sin has entered the world, before there's a law of Moses or anything else, from the very beginning of creation, God sets this as an example for us. The need for rest. We see this in the Ten Commandments, so it doesn't end here. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is the very calling here to do this very thing, to rest. Now notice what he says. This is Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And this is what he says. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. He takes the example of God and says, this is what we're supposed to do. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In fact, I would just say, if you know your Bibles, you know that to disobey this was actually considered to be a pretty grave sin for Israel over its long history. In fact, God brought great judgment on Israel because they failed to do this. This is 2 Chronicles 26. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God brought judgment so that the land could enjoy the Sabbath that they were supposed to have given it. That's how serious it's taken in the Old Testament here. Jesus himself followed the Sabbath. Now, <laughs> let me just say a few things about that. Uh, Jesus, as a carpenter, didn't work on Saturday, went to synagogue and, and worshipped with his, his uh, local community when he was younger. However, by the time of Jesus, the Sabbath had been many, in many ways corrupted by these thing called, things called fence laws. So the rabbis said, we're going to add, in a sense, to what the Bible actually says and in order to help clarify, they're actually sort of putting new laws. So, for example, you're not supposed to work on the seventh day. So what do they do? Well, how many steps can you take? <laughs> how, many step, too many, how many steps is too many steps that it's now considered work? How much weight can you carry? 
How far are you allowed to sort of ride your animal? They went into all these specific little laws and added that to the commandment uh, and said, if you obey, disobey these things, you're breaking the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said, no, <laughs> I don't follow any of those things. So at one point, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, a man with a crippled hand. And they said, ah, look, you're working on the Sabbath. You're healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I didn't say that. But he said, basically, he said, we're supposed to do good on the seventh day. It's good to do good. This is not a work. This is not what the point is. So he challenged the tradition of his day. But he didn't challenge the creation mandate for the need for rest. We're called to rest. Jesus obeyed that commandment as he fulfilled the law. I would say there are certain aspects of the of the law of Moses when it comes to the Sabbath that are no longer applicable to us. So they don't apply to today. For example, in ancient Israel, you were not allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath day. So you couldn't cook anything. You couldn't turn your oven on. You couldn't, they didn't have cars, but you couldn't start a car. Because when you start a car, unless you have an electric car, uh, you start a fire. So you couldn't do anything like that. I think that's fulfilled. I don't think that applies to us. So there are certain things that have changed. But again, from the very beginning of creation, is this calling to a work and life, a work and rest balance. It's not just here. We see it nightly. Every night you go to sleep. You're limited. You work, you stay awake for 16 hours, 17 hours, whatever, 18. Some of you guys sleep a little bit. Some sleep more than others. But we need that rest. Or if you work nights, work at night, you sleep during the day. My dad worked nights almost, almost my entire childhood, so we had to be a little quiet in the house during the day so we could get us, he could get us sleep. Weekly, we need a rest. Yearly, we're called to rest. You know that the idea of a vacation is actually biblical? It's not just tradition. The Bible actually tells us <laughs> to take extended times of off, uh, like the Festival of Booths, where you take a break and you basically camp out. That's what they did for a week. And then there are sabbaticals. There are extended periods of rest. The land was supposed to get a rest every seventh year. Uh, some, some vocations, some jobs actually allow for sabbaticals uh, where you take an extended period of time off. I've thought about it. A lot of pastors take sabbaticals. So I've talked, thought about maybe at some point taking a few months not to do nothing. That's not the point. To do some writing, to do some traveling, maybe some mission work or whatever. Take an extended time away and do a different type of of work, a sabbatical, and then there's retirement. And let me just say a, a little bit about that. Uh, you can search the Bible from cover to cover, and you will never see the word retirement uh, in it. There's no picture of retirement. Now, does that mean it's wrong to retire? No. Uh, let me explain. Uh, if what you mean by retirement is, I recognize that the limitations of my body, mind, whatever, needs I have to step away from one type of work and let others do it. Let those who are younger and let those who are, have the energy, let them take over. That is completely a biblical idea. In fact, we see that with David. David gets sick. He passes it on to his son, to Solomon. While he's still alive, he steps away from it. So that, is, that idea is certainly possible. But if by retirement you mean, I am going to now golf and garden for the rest of my life, you will find no picture in Scripture which says you can now just spend your life doing nothing and be sort of put out to pasture. <laughs> There's work to be done, whether that's the work you do with your local church, the work you do serving your family or volunteering or whatever it may be. But this picture, this idea of I retire and just walk the beach every day is not something we find in the scriptures. Friends, here's the point though. 
You can't outwork God. <laughs> if God himself chooses to take a seventh day of rest, you can't outwork him. <laughs> so don't try to. Uh, he's given us this picture for a purpose. I like what uh, one writer, do we have the Buchanan one, rest of God? One writer says, this is just knit into the very being, into our very being, this need for us to take a break, to rest. This is what he said. This is Mark Buchanan, the book, The Rest of God. He said, God made us from dust. We're never too far from our origins. The Apostle Paul says we're only clay pots, dust mixed with water, passed through fire. Hard, yes, but brittle too. Knowing this, God gave us the Sabbath not just as a day, but as an orientation, a way of seeing and knowing. Sabbath-keeping is a form of mending. It's mortar in the joints. All right, now how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Friends, don't work seven days. <laughs> often. All right? I'll throw in the word often. There are times, friends, when there is a need to do that. Uh, so it's, this is not something to be legalistic about. Uh, actually, even the Puritans, who were big Sabbatarians, recognized that there were certain jobs that simply had to work. Uh, and sometimes seven days or more. For example, police officers or nurses and doctors. Uh, I was t- listening to one guy who was a former pastor. He said he had a 911 operator in his church. You need to have 911 operators working <laughs> on Sunday. I mean, that's just the way you have to do. Um, and even those who say, well, everybody has to take a break because everybody should be in church. Uh, what about a pastor? Uh, I'm assuming you want a pastor to work on Sunday because you want him to preach, right? So you're, you're expecting something, to, someone to be working at that point in time. Well, you say, well, he can take Saturday off instead. Well, most pastors like to work and prepare, help finish preparing their message and, and everything on the night before that they're going to, to preach. So somebody has to work. But nevertheless, I think we can obey the general gist of this, that need to make sure we rest. Uh, your body and your soul need this. You will burn yourself out and die an early death <laughs> if you don't rest. I remember this story. It's always stuck with me of these two uh, lumberjacks. Two lumberjacks. I have the picture of the wood there. So uh, you got these two lumberjacks. One's an older lumberjack. One's a younger. And they start working together. And uh, as they're chopping you know, the wood, every hour, the older lumberjack takes a break for 10 minutes. Steps away. Gets, you know, walks away, gets a drink of water, comes back, and then he starts chopping again. Well, the younger guy says, I don't need a rest. So he just keeps chopping all day long. And every day, at the end of the day, the older lumberjack has a whole lot more wood than the younger one. And so finally, the younger lumberjack, who works all throughout the day, barely takes a break, says, I don't get it. Explain to me how you could have chopped more wood than me when you take a break every hour for 10 minutes. And the older lumberjack says, all right. What you don't know is when I walk away, I get a glass of water, and I sharpen my axe. And then I come back and chop wood. And by the end of the day, your axe is dull and mine is sharp as in the day began. Friends, that's what a Sabbath is. You're stepping away to sharpen your axe, <laughs> to rest your soul, to rest your body. You need it. Your family needs it. Most of us have a family. Um, your spouse needs this. Your kids need this. They need you to not work and spend time with them. Or if you're in a different stage of life, your parents need this. Or brothers and sisters, people you're going to spend time with. They need you to take a break from your work 
and spend time doing something else, something like resting. Your church needs it. Um, the amazing thing, we have, an, we have amazing staff at this church. We really do. I, I love our staff. Uh, I love coming to work. I love spending time with them. They're incredibly gifted. Uh, they're incredibly fun to be around. But so much of this church really is run by volunteers. By people who are devoting their own time to serve in the church. If you're just working all the time, you're never serving your local church, your church is going to suffer in its ministries and its outreach. Your community and your world needs this. Uh, we need people who are saying, I'm going to get involved in my community and volunteer in a local soup kitchen. I'm going to volunteer in what's going on and get involved in my kids' schools and PTA. And I've got to step away from my regular job and get to know what's happening. My friends, we, we need this. We need to rest. I, um, I wrote a, uh, a few years back, I wrote a bucket list. Everyone know what a bucket list is? A bucket list is a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. <laughs> before you die. That's what a bucket list is. Uh, this, I wrote this list though, but I, uh, it wasn't a list for me. Because some of the stuff I've done already, but I just thought of a general one. And most of these things you can't do if you just work seven days and you never stop at your job. If you don't take time to do other things. Uh, one of the things is books to read. Um, first, read the entire Bible. I, I won't ask the question, but I wonder how many of us have read through the Bible at least once. Everything in the Bible. You need to take time to do that. Uh, read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, that has got to be uh, the second best book ever written. Right, that's my opinion, obviously. We can disagree on that. But they said in every household in the United States in its early colonial days, you had two books. You had the Bible and you had John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress sitting on the shelf. Every family had two books. Uh, read Pilgrim's Progress. Read it in modern English if it's too difficult to read the old English. Um, read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or the, or the screw tape letters. I put five of these here. So read a biography of Martin Luther if you've never done that. Uh, and read, you know I'm going to say this, read Lord of the Rings if you haven't read Lord of the Rings because I love Lord of the Rings. Again, such a picture of the battle of good and evil and the insights he gives. Visit places. Put this on your bucket list. Uh, visit a foreign country. Take the time to do that. Uh, visit the Grand Canyon. I haven't done that. Visit Alaska and Hawaii. How many people have been to Alaska and Hawaii? Good. No, not too many. I've been to Alaska, not Hawaii. Uh, visit New York City. Uh, and... Uh, Transportation, fly in a helicopter. How many people have flown in a helicopter? Good, there's a little more hands there. Done that once. Uh, go on a cruise. Haven't done that. Ride a horse. Ride a motorcycle. Uh, ride in an old fashioned train. There's one that goes right up to Mount Washington. Education, learn an ancient language. You don't have to master it, but learn Latin, Hebrew, or Greek. Learn a spoken language Spanish, German, Italian. Learn ASL. <laughs> Their classes are free. Learn a sign language. Uh, memorize a meaningful poem. We've never done that. Learn how to cook at least one incredible meal. That's about all I got, is one meal. <laughs> Jess does most of the cooking. Learn how to ballroom dance or learn a martial art. You can't do any of this if you don't step away from your job a little bit. And some miscellaneous things. Speak at the funeral of a friend or family member, go on a short-term missions trip, serve on a jury for jury duty, uh, gener well, that one you don't really get to choose, right? They choose you, but it's nevertheless. Uh, generously help a stranger out, 
throw an amazing surprise party for your spouse or your best friend. We need to rest. There's a balance. Yes, we work. And the majority of our life is spent, six days of the week, spent, in a sense, working. How do we rest? And I don't, I'm not talking here just about sleep. Well, that's part of it. Nothing wrong with sleep. But the idea is not sleep. I remember when I was in college, I went to a Christian school, Gordon College, and a lot of guys would sleep in late on Sundays and would say, hey, how come you're not going to church? Well, it's a day of rest. I'm just, I'm just sleeping. That's my, that's my day of rest. Well, that's part of it. But that's not the idea. It's not just about sleep. It's about family. It's about travel. It's about hobbies, sports, reading. Um, do we fail at this? Yes. I know I have. I've failed at this. I'm sure many of you have as well. Work can be addicting. It can be all-consuming in your life. What you do. You know, we ask somebody, Hey, how are you doing? What do you do? What do they usually tell you? Their job, right? They don't say, well, I'm a Christian who worships the Lord. and I try to be a good neighbor and a good human being or whatever. They say, I'm a what? Whatever their job is, they fill in the blank. We define ourselves by our jobs. When we fail to do this, rest, friends, we repent and we look to Christ as Savior, the one who forgives us. All right, three and four. God bless the seventh day as a call to worship to us. It's not just about rest. It's about worship. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. God goes beyond resting and he blesses it. He sanctifies it. He makes it holy. Now what does that mean? To sanctify something. It's to set it apart. It's different than the six days that preceded it. Uh, Saints, when we use the word saints, a saint is a set apart one. Every Christian is a saint. There's no special category of upper echelon Christians that are saints. We're all saints because we're set apart by God. We're set apart for him. In fact, we can kind of be a little too, uh, look at that word holy and a little too separatistic. Uh, the, the utensils used in the temple were considered holy. You had, in the Old Testament, you have holy pots, holy shovels, holy bowls, holy snuffers, spoons, and bronze vessels. It just means to be set apart, to be different than the rest. God, when God sets something apart, he makes it holy. He sets this day apart from the others and blesses it. He says in verse 4, these are the generations uh, of the heavens and the earth. That may be the end of the chapter 1, sort of the, the finishing of creation, but more likely it's actually the beginning of the next section. It's what he's going to show us in the next chapter because he, shows, he ta- calls God here um, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, which is a description of the intimate name of God, which he's going to use in the rest of chapter 2. But how do we keep it holy? How do we... How do we worship the Lord on this day? Um, First of all, I want to say um, there are limits to this. There are limits to making too much of one day of the week compared to the rest. And the New Testament gives us a couple of warnings that are helpful for us. Romans 14 says, One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So he's saying, somebody says, hey, I worship the Lord every day. Every day is a day of worship. That's okay. Do that in honor of the Lord. Another person says, I worship the Lord every day. Yes, but still one day is set aside in a different way. Good. Do that as well. Or Colossians 2, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. So there are warnings to make too much of this, and I want to heed those warnings as we talk about it. But nevertheless, that God here in creation sets one day aside, can't be missed. We're called to not forsake gathering together. It's part of what we do together. 
And some people say, does it have to be Sunday? <laughs> what if I have to work on Sunday? Uh, no, I don't believe it has to be Sunday. In fact, our, Jew, our Messianic Jews mostly meet on Saturday because that's the traditional day of the Sabbath. Uh, when I was in uh, Nepal doing mission work there, all of Nepal takes Saturday off because that's the Hindu high holiday. I mean, that's, the, that's their weekly holiday. So the Christians in Nepal meet on Saturday. If we had to sort of say, no, you, you have to meet on Sunday, you're doing wrong by meeting on Saturday, they would literally have to take another day off of work every week. It would be, it would be extremely difficult for them. I don't think there's need to be that specific about it. Uh, you might even ask, why do we even meet on Sunday? I thought Saturday was the day off. Well, ever since the resurrection of Jesus, we've been, Christians have been meeting on Sunday because we do it in honor of the Savior. Saturday, we look at God as creator, but Sunday, we look at God as redeemer. And God's people have been meeting that day in honor of Christ, who is the fulfillment of our rest and the center of our worship. Jesus said, do good. <laughs> do good on the Sabbath. Uh, so those who are serving, serving in Kidtown, Right now, all the adults up there serving in Kidtown, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing good. Uh, those who are serving in the Open Hearts meal at 2 o'clock. Those who are going to visit the nursing home, which is today or not today. It's today. So if you'd like to go to the nursing home afterwards and do ministry there. Those who are going into prison on Sunday to do and lead a service there. Uh, or if you're here and you want to start something new <laughs> to serve. That's a good thing to do. Jesus said, doing good on the Sabbath is okay. That's it. You can labor and work on something different than your normal job in serving and, and laboring. Uh, you might say, what is worship? Let me just take a second here, a minute, a few minutes here. What is worship? Uh, worship is to recognize God to be who he is. To see him more clearly, which is obviously tied to the Bible because God is, the Bible is what shows us who God is. To recognize him to be God, but then to enjoy him for it. It's not just an accumulation of head knowledge. <laughs> I understand theology better. That's not worship. It's to know God and enjoy him for who he is. To let your emotions be lifted high in praise. Your emotions are not disconnected from your worship. To praise him for who he is. And yes, worship affects every area of our life, the way we treat our family, our church, uh, the way we talk to non-Christians and share the gospel, the way we deal with our finances, which again, I recommend this Financial Peace University, or this legacy class, the way we handle those things honors God. Um, so you might say, well, if that's what worship is, don't we do that every day? Yes, every day we're called to worship. But there is a difference between that and corporate worship when we come together, gathered as God's people. Uh, that has been what for 2,000 years Christians have seen Sunday as the day we gather together. And the picture in Revelation is that some from every tongue and tribe and nation are gathered together to worship. Yes, we worship every day. Yes, you can worship alone. But there's something special about being gathered together. Uh, I, I, this idea of this being something special. Uh, I remember when we had audio adrenaline here. And uh, their, their music was great. It was very loud. I think they were in the sanctuary. Not everyone came, but the, the balconies were shaking. <laughs> Some people get a little worried. Balconies are very, fur, uh, very steady, by the way. Um, but uh, a lot of their songs were maybe too, for some of you guys, some, it was just a little too heavy. Uh, but one song that everybody seemed to like, because it didn't have that same sort of volume, was The Sound of the Saints. 
And uh, this is how the words go as we think about this idea of the, the, the gathered worship of God's people. They write, oh, I love to hear the song of creation, the wind and the rhythm of the rain. Isn't that true? Creation itself. Oh, the thunder, it speaks of your power, but there's something in the sound of the saints. I've been washed in the roar of the ocean, found peace in the echoes of a cave. In the trees of the field, they clap their hands, but there's something in the sound of the saints. From the lips of those you saved, a redemption song will rise. With a sound so full it cracks the sky. Oh, we sing hallelujah. Oh, we sing amen. I will hear the chorus of angels, forever a symphony of praise. I long to hear the voice of my Savior, and he hears us the sound of the saints. From the lips of those you saved, a redemption song will rise. Every tongue, every tribe, hear the church your bride. Oh, our our hearts will rise, our songs shall be. Jesus Christ, our Savior, King forever. Our hearts will rise, the saints will sing. Oh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, King forever. Uh, Something about the sound of God's people gathered. So yes, we worship every day, but there's something special to you. And friends, you can see this around the world. I've been in places where there's a handful of believers. Uh, Here's one small congregation. You can just see the worship in their faces. uh, Just gathered here. That was in Nepal as well. Gathered for worship to sing his praises. And there is something in that sound that we need when we gather together as God's people. And I've been to huge cathedrals and some of you guys have, well, this is one in Montreal called uh, the Notre Dame, a basilica, beautiful, beautiful uh, place as well, place of worship. We worship wherever, but God's people gather together. Another song called He Reigns by the Newsboys. It's the song of the redeemed rising from the African plain. It's the song of the forgiven, drowning out the Amazon rain. And by the way, the gospel is spreading through Africa and through South America like crazy. The song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire. <laughs> and if you've ever been to you know, Asian worship services, you see that passion as well. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. Let praises echo from the towers of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground. That's what you have in China, underground house churches. Of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist. Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. Because there's something about the gathering together of God's people for worship. We're called together, yes, to rest, but we're also called to worship. Friends, what are we called to do? We're called to follow this pattern. Uh, You were made for this. It's part of how you were knit together as a human being. This need for worship one day a week. Corporate worship. We balance everyday worship with corporate worship. Uh, Understand too, your kids, your kids, if you have kids, will prioritize what you prioritize. If you make a priority of being gathered with God's people, your kids will see that. And when they're older, they'll likely follow it. If you don't, be, make no, be, don't be surprised if they don't either. I know things are changing. Uh, you have, for a while, you had a lot of radio preachers, uh, a lot of TV preachers. Now you have web and podcasts that you can hear far better preachers than me. <laughs> so you can get them at home. You don't even have to leave your house. As we said last week, we had Facebook Live. No one had to even leave their house. Uh, and I don't know what the next thing will be. We'll find out. 
But I hope we never lose the importance of actually gathering together in person with one another to worship the Lord. One day in seven is meant for rest and worship. It's the picture we see in scripture here. Genesis 2. God didn't wait long to tell us how important this is. He does it at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, maybe, maybe, friends, a New Year's resolution for you as we're still in January here. Uh, come to church. Be with God's people gathered together. There are times when it snows. <laughs> I get it. Like last week. The times when you're sick. The times when you're traveling. Uh, and there's a time when you die. So you can't always be gathered with God's people. But outside of those things, make that commitment to be gathered with his people. We're not, looking, not talking here about a begrudging obedience. It's my duty. I have to be here. But a joy in following our created order. A joy in heeding Jesus' calling to rest in him as Savior and as Lord. Matthew 11, we'll end with this. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He calls us to rest and to worship in him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you so much for your word, which reveals to us not only who you are, but reveals to us what you would want from us. That you call us, Lord, to work and to work diligently, to do, to accomplish, to produce, but you also call us to rest, to enjoy life, to look around and see the creation that you've made in all of its beauty to enjoy the relationships that we have with family and friends, to rest in you. And Lord, you call us to worship. You set apart, you bless, you sanctify this day as a day in which your people gather together and make much of God, to see you more clearly for who you are and enjoy you. So may that be true of us, Lord, as a church family. May we continue to rest weekly and in you and to gather weekly to worship you. And Lord, Help us, Lord, as we seek to give you glory in doing so. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen.